Welcome to the Abbott Loop Community Church Podcast. For more information about Abbott Loop, visit abbottloop.org. Hi Church, I'm Mariah Anderson. I'm one of the leaders here. And this morning I want to start off um, by reading to you from the Bible. So if you will, just turn with me on your iPhone, or if you brought an actual Bible with you, turn with me in your Bible to Psalms chapter 16. We're going to start off in verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me. To the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let's pray this morning, church. God, I thank you for your leadership. Jesus, I thank you for your leadership in my life. I thank you for your leadership over this church. Lord, we submit this morning to you as you are bringing us together, as you are making us better together. Father God, I pray that we would lean into you, Holy Spirit, that we would turn our eyes, turn our ears, turn our spirits towards you, God, and that we would hear what your voice is saying to us, and we would get into alignment with what you're doing. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our Better Together series, and today we're talking about boundaries. (laughs) We're talking about boundaries and how boundaries are a life-giving system from God to produce life inside of us, to help us have successful relationships with each other, and to sustain longevity in all that we do in giving and serving and loving. So boundaries. So oftentimes, I think as Christians, we can tend to struggle meeting each other's needs or meeting the needs of the world. We feel like we need to meet everybody's needs. We need to go above and beyond. And we feel even pressure from scriptures that they hang over our head and we hear, consider others' interests above your own. Love sacrificially, give sacrificially. Your whole life should be a living sacrifice. (laughs) Help widows and orphans. Help the poor go the extra mile. How are we supposed to meet all those needs? How are we supposed to fulfill all of those commands and stay healthy? How are we supposed to do that and maintain boundaries? Have any of you felt overwhelmed by those commandments? Have you ever stretched yourself too thin in a relationship? Have you ever bent yourself over backward trying to meet somebody's need only to find out that they don't appreciate that you did that? They didn't actually want you in their business. (laughs) They just made you feel guilty for not helping them, (laughs) right? So how do we keep ourselves healthy? These scriptures are supposed to be promises, supposed to be privileges that we get to partner in but we hardly ever get to experience the abundance of them because we put our boundaries in the wrong places because we don't see ourselves correctly. We're told also in scripture to tell the truth in love. Here's some boundary scriptures on the positive side. We're supposed to tell the truth in love. We're supposed to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Rest, hello, we need it. 
We're supposed to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And not vacillate back and forth between them. And I think, I think boundaries have gotten a negative reputation sometimes because it's always about what you're saying no to. Right? No, I can't. You need to say a boundary, and boundaries always mean, no, I'm not going to do that. But boundaries, I would think, boundaries should be a resounding yes. Yes to what I'm trading my life for. Yes to what I'm committed to. Yes to my responsibilities. Yes to my commitments. And then that I'm prioritizing. Where does that fit in my life? Because I have a lot of important things that I'm meant to do. You have a lot of important things that you are meant to do, church. You have a resounding yes, a reason for setting boundaries. And Jesus told us that his yoke is supposed to be easy and his burden is supposed to be light. So if we're overcommitting ourselves to stuff and we're giving and giving and giving away and we're not feeling the abundance of partnering with these promises that scripture says, then we're doing it wrong. We're seeing ourselves wrong. We're giving a part of ourselves away, our inheritance, so we don't even know that we have away before we've even embraced what we've been given. We gotta see ourselves right because boundaries are a positive life-giving system meant for us to protect our peace. Our peace and our freedom. I like to be free. <laughs> I don't like to be controlled. I like freedom and the kingdom of God is all about freedom. It's all about peace. So boundaries should help maintain our peace, maintain our health, maintain our self-care. So what do boundaries give us in our communities and in our relationships? I made us a short little list. Boundaries are meant to build a foundation of honor in our relationships. Where I say, I respect me and I respect you. Boundaries are supposed to allow us to flourish as our best selves in community and relationship. I get to be my true self. I get to let my hair down and you accept me as I am. If I'm not stepping on your toes. It gives us peace and power as individuals. It allows us to operate safely together. Boundaries keep us from burnout. Boundaries make us dependable and trustworthy. They produce true intimacy. Boundaries make love genuine. I want you to chew on that. Boundaries make love genuine. If I willingly give away what I have to give, rather than feel like I'm obligated to give you something, my love for you is genuine, and I don't resent what I give to you. Boundaries protect my inner person and help me sustain longevity in my relationships and in my ministries and my responsibilities. Boundaries make it possible for us to believe that we can truly be better together. But we put up boundaries for all different kinds of reasons. We put up boundaries because we're scared. We put up boundaries because we don't want to go there. We put up boundaries because we're hurt and offended. And this is what I think happens. I think we hold our feelings in for too long. We let things build up. We hold back our opinion. We hold back our preferences. We hold back our truth. And then we begin to feel used. We begin to feel unheard, silenced, taken advantage of. And then when we can no longer take it, if we get or this brave, usually if we just do that, and then we start screening phone calls. <laughs> I mean, really. It's not really bold people who are like, we're going to have a talk. I want to set up an appointment with you, you know. And then we have the big talk, the boundary talk. We're going to define this relationship. And then we say things like, you crossed the line. 
I need to set up a boundary with you. And what we really are saying is I need to limit the amount of access that you have to me and the amount of intimacy I'm willing to experience with you. We start to put up walls to keep ourselves safe. We start to tell people where they belong and where we belong. You say, you stay back. But boundaries shouldn't be walls. Boundaries should be more like lines. Lines that are easily adjusted, movable. I like to think of boundaries like lines, a line of separation between two distinct things. A line defining an area of limitation. A line is not threatening. A line does not invoke fear of punishment. It's not scary or intimidating. A line can be moved if needed by season or change or discovery. A line still allows me to be seen. It allows you to be seen. It allows me to see you. A wall, on the other hand, it's set in the ground. It's permanent. It's going to take some lots of like work to make the wall come tumbling down, right? A wall is threatening. It's scary. It's about defense and protection. A wall is something that you can hide behind. Hello? We like to hide behind walls. When we don't want to be seen, when things get too close to home, when things start pressing up against our childhood experiences, we're like, whoa. <laughs> retreat, retreat. A wall is built to keep someone or something out. Boundaries are not walls, church. We're not meant to build walls between each other. We're supposed to keep lines with one another, lines of communication open. That's like where these, si these sayings come from. Lines that we can move and adjust based on our needs because boundaries are about our responsibilities to each other. Boundaries are about our commitments to one another. Boundaries are about self-awareness. And as I discover self-awareness, as I begin to discover who I really am and my unique shape, I need to be able to move those boundaries to accommodate my shape. I need to move, we need to move boundaries so that we can fit together, work together. I'm going to have different ones regarding different people. Boundaries should be like lines, and we need to learn how to set up those boundaries from right places and for the right reasons. Because per personal boundaries define our identity. It's, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I value, what I'm good at, what I believe, what I need, what I feel. Yeah, we got to talk about what we need. We got to express how we feel. We can't keep those things to ourselves. Boundaries are kind of like property lines. It defines the shape of what you own. If it falls in this on my property, I own it. I'm responsible for it. I'm committed to it. And then it defines what I'm not responsible for. This is my shape. And as I discover who, more of who I am, as I grow and as I mature, those lines need to begin to make room for, allowances for that growth. So it defines where I begin and where I end and where somebody else begins. So in life, we're always maturing. So we go from codependency to independence to interdependence. So codependence, like when we're young, we're intrinsically vulnerable. We're dependent on our caregivers for food and everything, everything, regulation and safety. They tell us who we are, what to do, what we're responsible for, how to behave. Our life is basically not our own. All of our security, all of our identity is given to us by our caregivers. We're codependent for life and security on them. As we move into like adulthood and young adulthood, we start to manage more of our freedom. 
We take on more and more of our own responsibilities. We make our own commitments. We're learning how to flex our own muscles and learning how to be responsible for the things that we put in our life. But we shouldn't stop right there because if we stop right there, we fall short of something really special, which is interdependence. We've learned what we can do on our own and that I don't need everybody to do everything for me. But what I need to know is that my life is made better with other people. If I'm all by myself and I don't need you, then when something really bad goes down in my life, I'm all by myself. When interdependence says I'm secure on my own, I don't need you to be okay with me to be okay. But you make my life better. You make my life richer. You teach me so that I can grow and I'm better when you challenge me. Interdependence makes room for more people so that we can um, we'll grow and change and adapt. And it welcomes that. So a codependent person is kind of like a boundaryless person. They're going to be people who say yes to everything, bite off more than they can chew. Then they need that security from other people telling them, you're doing a good job, you're doing a good job, we need you, we want you, whatever, to stay secure. Their identity is dependent on those things. Otherwise, security leaves and flees them. They don't know who they are without the people and the things and the responsibilities that they're committed to are. An independent person says, I don't need anyone. I'm, all, I'm good all by myself. And they struggle to make commitments and, like, stick with them. They don't want to be tied down. You know, something better might come up. But interdependence says I'm secure. I know my worth. I know who I am and who I'm not. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with my limitations. I add value to people, and people add value to me. So the goal of interdependence is that we would live in these authentic, life-giving relationships, thriving with one another. It'd be this exchange of fellowship where you're, where you're weak, I might be strong. Where I'm weak, you might be strong. But in serving and giving and loving would be like our purpose and not just tasks on our to-do list that exhaust us and tire us out, but part of the promise and part of what we're made for. It'd be a life-giving thing to serve, to give, to love, to give generously, to love big. This would be part of our purpose. It would ignite us. It would light us up. But so often we fall in this thing where we're so used up already, we're so spent already that people and relationship and to-dos and serving and giving and loving just becomes another thing on our to-do list. That we're like, ugh, I'm so tired. I don't want to sign up for another thing. I'm so busy. I don't want to do that. We're missing out on our purpose. We're missing out on the abundance of Christ. We're missing out on the fullness of his church. What have we filled our life with? What, what have we filled ourselves up with? They're not tasks to be done. They're promises to be fulfilled. They're relationships and memories to be made. And what I love is that Jesus is like the perfect example of living life with boundaries. He lived big. He loved big. He gave big. And he had personal boundaries. And I was, like, amazed when I started to study the way that Jesus had boundaries in his life. And I know that if Jesus has boundaries, I can definitely have boundaries. And it's, like, a good thing, you know? So Jesus didn't live on the defensive, overextending himself, giving more and more and more until he was tired, and then finally being like, oh, I need a break. How many of you have heard that, especially in church? I'm just so tired, I need to take a break. I just need to unplug from everything. And I'm not saying that we don't ever have rhythms like this. What I'm saying is that this is not a pattern that we get into. That we set a new rhythm where it's like, we are so filled up already that we have plenty to give from. 
We don't see this in Jesus' life where he just gives till he's so exhausted that he's ready to cut everyone out. So Jesus had personal needs that he put a priority on and above other people sometimes. And he did that without feeling guilty. He accepted his own personal limitations. I don't know about you, but I don't like to even think that I have limitations sometimes. I like to think that I'm capable of doing like everything. I want to be able to do it all. It's hard for me when I come up against something that I struggle with. But Jesus accepted his limitations like in a relaxed way. It wasn't a judgment against him. He was like, I have limitations. I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need to take care of myself. I like this. I don't like that. He knew who he was and he was okay with it. And in in his humanity, Jesus had limitations, just like we do. Jesus didn't overextend himself and try to do 26 hours of activity in the 24-hour day period that he had. He didn't bend over backwards to meet people's needs. He met them as he went on his way. Jesus even said, I do nothing without the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do, or what the Father is doing. Jesus was comfortable with being by himself. He enjoyed silence and solitude. How many people are like, do we know, who just can't even be alone with themselves? They're uncomfortable. They're like, at least I have my phone. <laughs> we don't even go to the bathroom without bringing our phone sometimes, you know? TMI, sorry. Anyways. Jesus made times to be refreshed by the Father. So he knew the times when, his, when he needed to be with just Daddy. And he was okay with saying, hey, I'm going to be spending time with my dad. <laughs> like, leave me alone. You know? <laughs> Jesus said no to inappropriate and toxic behaviors, demands, abuse, entitlement. Jesus never gave in to that stuff. He knew how to set boundaries between those baiting questions that the Pharisees were always trying to trap him in. Side step, side step. He was just like, knock it off. He confronted that stuff. He said no to manipulation, and Jesus always spoke the truth in love to those who were stuck or in the wrong. He did not hold back his feelings. He did not hold back the truth, and he did it in love. He wasn't always, like, nice to everybody. Those Pharisees, he's like, he called them names, and I'm like, can you talk like that? You know, but Jesus wasn't nice to everyone. He didn't help any, every single person that he came in contact with. He didn't. And every single person that Jesus did help, he made them do their part. He said, what do you want? Do you really believe? Are you willing to go rub, you know, can I rub mud in your eye? Can you go wash in that river? Like, are you willing to do your half, your part of it? Jesus lived in a rhythm of life where he did not get worn out. He didn't let life wear him out. And when we don't know who we are or whose we are or what we have to give, we're going to put our boundaries in the wrong places because we don't value it. We don't value ourselves. We opened up with Psalm 16, verse 5, and it says, You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. When we reflect on how we're spending our time and putting our boundaries, is it pleasant places? Are we feeling worn out, worn down? Because the Lord's promise is that we have a delightful inheritance. But when we put our boundaries in the wrong places, we give more than we should because we undervalue what we have. We don't believe that our opinions need to be heard or our feelings need to be expressed or that our needs matter, that they don't count for much. So we hold them in and just kind of slowly die. You know what I'm saying? And we give ourselves away. We give things that we don't actually want to give. We do things that we don't actually want to do just because we're not honest. I don't want to sign up to bring something for the potluck. I don't want to. 
Why can't I say that out loud? Because I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel bad that I'm not the mom who's bringing something for everybody to eat. You know, we do this, and it's like the little things, but all these little tiny things, they tax us. <laughs> they tax our heart. They tax our spirit. And this is not the, we want to pick the things that give us joy, that fill us with life, that we shine at. You know, that's the thing that we feel obligated to do and pressured to do because all of the, you know, PTA parents are doing it or whatever the thing is that fits your season of life. Because then we're going to have problems with anger and resentment, stress and burnout. This is why we just, you know, the turnover in volunteering for things is so high. We start to struggle with anxiety and depression, and we're not going to be cheerful givers. But that, that verse that we started with, it said our promise is that we're not going to be shaken, that we're going to maintain our peace, that our bodies are going to rest secure, that our tongue is going to rejoice, that we don't have to be like, oh, I signed up to do this thing, now I have to go, you know. How many times do we sign up for something and then complain about it behind the person's back that we signed up to do it for? No, our tongue is going to rejoice that so we get to partner in it. We're going to do so willingly and with cheerfully because we know what our value is and who we are and what we're not and what we like and what we don't like. So we start to put our boundaries in pleasant places so we can rest at peace and we can have freedom about the way we spend our time and about the commitments we sign up for, the responsibilities that we put on our plate, and then we can own them because they're part of our property. This is where I begin. This is where I end, and I'm not going to walk on your platform. I'm not going to come over and tell you how to do your job. Whatever, I'm going to stay on my piece of property. But if we don't know our property line, we're going to end up in these places. We're going to end up so disappointed and exhausted trying to help everyone, trying to be valuable to everyone, trying to be important to everyone, trying to serve everyone, trying to help everybody in the whole church move, trying to help everybody who just had a baby, you know, take care of the meal train or whatever. There are so many needs out there, church. And we want to help everybody. And that is part of what the, the, like the glorious church is all about, is that we get to bear each other's burdens. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things. That is like one of the main things that was so attractive to the church when I first came here. As the people saw me, they saw my needs, they met my needs. But does it produce life for where you're at? Does it put your boundaries in pleasant places? Or do we end up feeling overspent, used, unappreciated? Because in those places, we're going to throw our hands up and we're just going to be like, deuces, gooses, <laughs> I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not signing up for anything. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to, I don't want to be a part of this. And it's like this. It's like if we get burned once somewhere, like okay, we get burned by a stove, and we're like, okay, screw it. I'm not cooking dinner anymore. <laughs> that stove burned me. I'm never cooking again. <laughs> that stinking thing, like, and we get so mad, and then we're like, I'm not even going to cook. I'm not even going to feed myself. That's like what we do when people hurt us. When ministries hurt us, when churches hurt us, when people disappoint us, when they leave us, and we put our heart back out there and it happens again, we get burned again. Then we throw our hands up in an exhaustion and in frustration and in disappointment, and we say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to love that big. I'm never going to give that big. I'm never going to let people into my life like that again. All ministries are going to hurt me. All churches are going to hurt me. No. Boundaries shouldn't be walls. Boundaries should help produce intimacy, trust, build honor, not protect us from one another, not keep us away from one another. And I get this. I've lived 
I've lived this. When I first came to Abeloop, I was like, why didn't I don't even know. The power of God was so amazing here for me because I came from somewhere where I just was like invisible. And I walked into a family and they saw me. And they wanted me. And they met my needs and I felt like, it was like Disneyland. I felt, I don't know, I feel like a little like orphan kid who walked in here and then received love for the first time. Had friends who, I mean, extravagant love, lavished love upon me. And I thought, I've won the jackpot. You know, I've like, I don't know, it was so, it was beautiful. And I have experienced the most intimate friendships here and the best connections here. And I believe that I have tasted and I've experienced the best of better together. Like I know that it's a real thing and then it can be experienced in the church like nowhere else that the world has to offer. I've sat around in places with people who have nothing to offer trying to feel a hole in my heart and it does not get filled like being a part of this place, like being a part of this family. And it's not just the people that's here. It's what God does through the people here. And this is the thing. I lived in a season where I had a, the most outrageous, loving group of friends that I thought would never betray me, never leave me, never turn their back, never take away their acceptance until. Until they do. And I learned that people can take their love away. And while I had like the highest highs in my life here, I've had my lowest lows here at church. When you disappoint, when you can't fulfill people's needs, when you don't meet their expectations, when you can't, there's not enough of you to go around. And they leave. And they take their encouragement, and they take their presence with them. I've had to process this a lot in my life because I realized that I was putting so much of my hope and my security and my identity and my purpose all wrapped up in those people. This place still exists. There's new people here. But I felt like I had lost my home. Jesus didn't turn his back on me. He didn't abandon me. He didn't take away his approval of me. He didn't take his encouragement away from me. He is my home. He is my portion and my cup. He makes my lot secure. And I realized that I was like an orphan when he found me. And I put my, my hope and my identity in the wrong places and he just stayed with me. He stayed with me. He walked through that heartbreak, that heartache with me. And he said, I'm right here. And I've got you. But what I realized during this is that I was looking at life like an orphan. <laughs> See, an orphan holds on, doesn't know their identity. They don't know their worth. They don't know their value. So they search and they grasp for relationships and responsibilities and tasks so that they can earn love of those around them and the approval of those around them so that they have belonging. They find acceptance and they believe that they're loved because of what they can do, what they contribute. They find acceptance in those things. And so they live in scarcity, believing that there's a limited amount of love to go around. 
that, they're, that the love that you have for me is measured based on what I do and how I perform. Distance and relationship, if I'm really close to you, you love me a lot. If you remove yourself and you distance yourself from me, I must have done something wrong. Fear of punishment, always based on what I do. If I don't behave, if I don't perform good enough, if I can't meet your needs, if I can't be there, then do you still love me? See, for an orphan, they constantly live in a fear of loss of relationship and love, and they don't believe that they're truly accepted and that they truly belong. So every time they give something, they have that lingering doubt in the back of their head. Do you love me for me or just because of the hole I fill? Do you love me for me or just because I serve in your ministry? Do you love me for me or just because I'm available? But praise Jesus. We are not orphans. If we've been, if we have accepted Jesus, then we are not orphans anymore. We are the children of God. And Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leaving you, leading you back to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. As sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And Ephesians 5, 1 says, God decided in advance. He decided in advance. He predestined us. He predetermined that we were going to have a family, that we were not going to be an orphan, that we would not be abandoned, that we would rest secure, that we would not be shaken. Because he would give us an identity. He would give us a property line. And then our inheritance would be delightful. He decided in advance to adopt us. That we were going to be born again. Not just adopted, but grafted in. Made one with. He adopted us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. This was his plan all along. He wanted you in his family. You are not an orphan. Church, you are not an orphan. You're not just a pawn trying to be filled into a spot to make a machine run. You are part of a family. Families work together. Families lean on each other. Families depend on each other. They do their part. They lean on each other, support each other. Come on, we are meant to be a family. Adopted in, you are not alone. You have a great inheritance. The boundary lines for you have fallen in pleasant places. You have an inheritance, church. See, an heir on the flip side, has a mindset, a permanent acceptance. No matter who leaves you, no matter who hurts you, no matter if your you know, job is good, your job is bad, you perform good, you behave good, your acceptance is solid, you're secure. And an heir sees love in abundance. There's no limit to it. They don't have to fight for it. They don't struggle with jealousy, competition, trying to get a little bit more for themselves. There's plenty to go around. They are secure in their identity and their worth. Resources are not limited. There's no scarcity in even our resources. Our worth is based on blood, not behavior. We can see feedback then not as a judgment of who we are, but as a loving critique so we can become more like Christ. I don't know about you, but when anybody used to challenge me when I felt like, um, like an orphan, 
I would feel like, oh my gosh, my whole foundation of who I am is coming unraveled. I'm not good enough to be with you anymore. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not worthy. You know, like now when I hear like criticism, I'm like, bring it on. How can I get better? I want to grow. Tell me more. What else? Because I want to be like Jesus. It's not a threat. It's not an accusation against me anymore. It's an opportunity to be, grow and become like him and to have a closer relationship with the person who's telling me because I believe I'm loved. I don't live in fear anymore that you're going to leave me, that you're going to disapprove of me. But we, I mean, we sometimes we vacillate. We go back and forth. I'm not saying it's permanent, like always in our mind that we constantly live like this, but we know we know the truth, and we remind ourselves of the truth. And then we say, am I acting like an orphan? Or am I acting like an heir? Am I putting my boundaries in the right places, places like an heir would? Or am I behaving like an orphan and giving more away to, of myself than I should? You see, the, the revelation that I'm having, like, at 32 years old right now, after being in ministry for, since I was 18, is that if, if I don't know who I am, if I don't know whose I am, if I see myself like an orphan, I'm going to put my boundaries in the wrong places. I'm going to give people things that they have no business getting. And I have no business giving. We won't know that we're worth protecting, worth staying for until we know the love of God for us. Until we truly are convinced that we have been given an inheritance, that we are crowned like royalty, that he has lifted us up and seated us next to Jesus himself. It's incredible. It's an honor. It's a reality. It's who we are. So church, who are you living like? Are you living like an heir? Are you living like an orphan? Orphan. Who's leading you? Is it love or is it fear? Fear will sound like an orphan. See, orphans build up walls to keep people out. They have to protect themselves. Orphans, the stories that go on in an orphan's head is that they don't really love me. I don't belong. But an heir says there's always more than enough. There's plenty and God will meet my needs. God will meet my needs. I'm going to read to you the, verse, the verses that we started with, and we're going to, as we close. Psalm 16, 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Church, will you respond with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would know that there is people here who feel like orphans. You have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't been grafted into the family. And if that's you this morning, I want you to simply put your hand in the air and I will pray with you that you would be adopted into his family this morning. Is there anyone in this room who doesn't have a home in eternity, who doesn't believe that Jesus is their Lord. 
anyone. All right, well, we're just going to pray just in case you're afraid. Just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for paying the price and making a way so that I could come home to you, so that you can be my portion and my cup. Holy Spirit, transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna respond to the Lord. If you've been living like an orphan, if you've been letting fear rule your life, then come forward this morning and receive encouragement, receive breakthrough. Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you that you are leading us and making us new. I thank you, God, that you are transforming us from the inside out to not operate like orphans any longer, but that we would walk in our true identities, that we would put our boundaries in the right places, that we would be responsible for the things that you have given us and entrusted to us, and that our boundaries would be a reminder of the yes that we're saying to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. We hope to see you soon.